All right, so all of you that are here today, I need you to answer a poll question for me, okay? All right, by show of hands, who has a brother or a sister? Okay, by show of hands, keep your hands up if you and your brother or your sister got along perfectly always. Got a couple of liars. Um, the altar will be open for repentance at the end of the service. Okay, but hands back up if you have a brother or sister, hands back up. All right, keep your hand up if and only if you believe that your mom or dad had a favorite. <laughs> Parents, keep your hand up if you do have a favorite. I'm just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> some, some of the kids are like, wait, is mom's hand up? <laughs> Who is it? All right, so, so we're going to look today, uh, continuing this idea or looking at what happens in the life of Isaac um, through his children, Jacob and Esau. It's a familiar passage. If you want to go ahead and turn to the end of Genesis chapter 26, uh, starting in verse 34, and we're going to look at 27 and into the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 28. But for reading purposes today, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to look at Genesis 28, the first nine verses. We're going to read those together and then we're going to jump back in with the rest of the passage. And it says this, starting in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 28. So Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, and commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite girl. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Marry one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. May God give you and your offspring the blessing of Abraham so that you may possess the land where you live as a foreigner, the land that God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob to Padan Aram, to, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. But Esau, verse 6, noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to get a wife there. And when he blessed them, Isaac commanded Jacob, do not marry a Canaanite girl. And Jacob listened to his father and mother and went to Padan Aram. But Esau realized that his father Isaac disapproved of the Canaanite women. So Esau went to Ishmael and married, in addition to his other wives, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, she was the sister of Nebaioth. Let's pray together. Father, we look at your word and we look at our families and we look at our lives and we look at the need of redemption and we ask God, how long until we get to see you face to face? How long until our faith becomes sight? But we also ask, Lord, how long will we struggle and strive in the flesh here. So we ask you, God, today to show us through the life of Isaac, to show us in what happens with, with, with Jacob and Esau. Lord, we ask that you would show us what your plan of salvation and what your plan of redemption entails for us even today, April the 7th, 2019. Because Lord, today there are people in our families, there are people in our neighborhoods, there are people in our workplaces, there are people in our circles of friends that need you. So show us how to take you to them. Lord, we love you and we ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we get to this passage, and this is a culminative passage for where our passage, the rest of the, the story goes today. But it kind of shows a little sibling rivalry that's developing. Maybe you'll remember uh, from a couple of weeks ago and last week as, as, uh, as uh, Rebecca is carrying these two boys in her womb, these twin brothers, Isaac, excuse me, Jacob and Esau, that uh, the Lord told her, you've got two nations that are, that are growing there. They're, they're growing within your womb and there's going to be a struggle and the older is going to serve the younger and then 
out they come. The little red hairy guy Esau and clutched to his ankle is his brother Jacob. And then we fast forward a little bit and there they are. Esau is hungry and Jacob trades a bowl of soup in order to get the birthright of the firstborn, the position in the family to get the bigger portion of the inheritance. You'd like to think that as brothers, they got along, but it's very clear that they didn't. It's very clear that there was a line of deception that kind of traced their lives. And I know it's natural, it's easy for us to say, well, Jacob, doesn't his name mean heel grabber or one that trips you or deceiver? And, and, and yes, actually it does. Uh, Jacob's our student pastor. Um, and uh, so we, it, it does have that connotation. <laughs> But as we're going to look at in this passage, there's a greater deception that's going on that feeds into our lives that the gospel alone can reconcile and redeem us from from our struggle there. And all of it starts with Esau's wives. All of it starts with Esau's wives. At the end of chapter 26, we have these words in verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, He took as his wives, Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hethite, and Besmath, the daughter of Elon, the Hethite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now, I'm not going to ask the women in here to raise their hand and ask the in-law question. But this is a little bit step beyond um, a a struggle with the mother-in-law. And and if you are the mother-in-law and and you're the mother-in-law to a daughter-in-law because she married your son, you might construct, could resonate a little bit with Rebecca. Your boy has a new first love and your boy has a new allegiance and mama, I'm sorry, but you're second place. And that's a struggle. Or as Adrian Rogers used to always say, the, the reason we have in-law issues is because you have two lo- women in love with the same man for different reasons. The mom that's in love with her son who she raised, the man that he has become, and the wife who says, this is my cover, this is my shelter, this is my husband, this is the other half of my heart. That's completely different. But this is, takes us all the way back to Genesis 2. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. One flesh, right? And as Jesus says, whatever God has joined together, taken to two and put to one, don't let anybody separate. Or as the old King James, tear asunder. I don't know what tear asunder means, but it's there. And here's Esau. At the end of this passage we just read, Esau sees the bitterness and the rejection that comes from his parents because of his wives. Maybe it's because they thought that Esau could do better. Maybe it's because they understood why it was that Abraham had sent one of his servants back to the land of Ur, to the place where he grew up in order to get a wife for his son, Isaac. But in either case, we have an issue with these wives. Not only do we have an issue with these wives, we have an issue between the parents of Jacob and Esau between Isaac and Rebekah oh yes that Isaac that child of promise and that Rebekah that one that was found by the servant of Abraham in the house of Bethuel the sister of Laban that was brought back sight unseen to marry this Isaac and where it said that he took her and he loved her even in the struggle 20 years waiting for the children to be born there's an issue says there in verse 1 that when Isaac was old, his eyes were weak that he could not see. He called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and Esau answered, I am here. And Isaac said, Look, I am old, 
and I do not know the day of my death, so please now take your hunting gear, your quiver, your bow, go out into the field to hunt some game for me, then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat so that I can bless you before I die. Verse five, now Rebekah was listening to what Isaac said to his son Esau, and so while Esau went to the field to hunt some game to bring in, Esau, I mean, excuse me, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, listen, I heard your father talking with your brother Esau and he said, bring me game and make a delicious meal for me to eat that I can bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me and do what I tell you to do. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats and I will make them into a delicious meal for your father, the kind that he loves. And then you will take it to him so that he may bless you before he dies. Uh Uh-oh. This is a little bit bigger deal than child goes to dad. Dad, can I have a cupcake? No, you can't have a cupcake. Child then goes to mom. Mom, can I have a cupcake? You've been there, right? Well, what did your daddy say? No. How did you know I asked dad? Or, hey, I don't know, go ask your father. This isn't the same, this isn't the same deal. There's some favoritism that's already taken shape. We've already read in chapter 26 where it says that, that Esau favored, was favored by Isaac because Isaac liked the taste of wild game. And Rebekah favored Jacob because he was a quiet stay-at-home in the tent herdsman type. Favoritism. You want to fuel your sibling rivalry? You want to fuel the the animosity between your kids? Favor one. Favor one. We see it right here. It's happening right here in the first family of our faith. It's favoritism. But Isaac is seeking to hand down the blessing. Isaac is seeking to pass along to that next generation because we understood from last week that our faith is not a one generational thing. It is incumbent upon those of us who were of faith to hand our faith down to the next generation. That happens naturally in the home from parents to children, but it happens from first generation Christians to second generation to third generation to fourth generation. Not that your family has been in the church, but when you came to faith in Christ, that you would hand your faith to someone else that they would be able to see this same Christ but here's Isaac he calls this boy in Esau come on I'm about to die and I've got to hand something off to you And, and I'm choosing you because you can make this meal for me you know how I like that stew man maybe it was Brunswick stew I don't know you ever had some good Brunswick stew that's got some deer meat in it it's good. Oh, man, it, it tastes good. Oh, you can make that and you can mix it and get it just right. Oh, Esau, come on. Take your, take your bow out there. Look at the words he says. Make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat so that I may bless you. Isaac is exercising his paternal role in passing down the blessing. But the blessing wasn't supposed to go to Esau. It wasn't just that Esau had traded his birthright. Do you remember the words that were given to to Rebekah? Chapter 25, verse 23, where it says, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come come from you and be separated. One will be stronger than the other, but the older will serve the younger. In God's providential plan to connect us to the Messiah to come, he's already taken the unexpected step of supplanting the older older for the younger, supplanting the former for the latter. This is what we see continually happen with the gospel. So supplanting the law with the righteousness that comes from the blood of Christ. This is all foreshadowing to what Jesus will do. And God is saying, it's not going to happen the way you expect it. You expect it to be that, oh, you're the child of promise, so you're just going to naturally have this baby just as wonderfully as you could, and that baby's going to be the next one, and then the next one, and the next one. But no, you've got two, and this struggle that you have sensed, and the struggle that you have felt is because of what I am doing and how I will bless the world through your family. 
and Isaac is seeking to hand down the blessing, so he sends him out. But instead, Jacob is sent in to receive the blessing. But Jacob receives the blessing by deception. He receives it by deception. Deception one was Isaac's deception. Now, I don't know if Rebecca ever told Isaac, hey, I'm gonna have twins and this is what God said about them. I I don't know, I wasn't there. The Bible doesn't record that for us, that that conversation happened. At some point, it had to have happened because Moses, when he wrote the words of scripture, wasn't there in the room uh, with Rebecca when the angel appeared and said, hey, you're gonna have twins and this is what's gonna happen. Uh, Moses was uh, 450 years later, so he wasn't there. But it was preserved by the authority of God so that when it was written down, it was there as a historical account and record. So the conversation happened at some point. But Isaac sends Esau to mix the stew. But Rebecca pulls Jacob and says, come here, come here, boy. I'm gonna help you out. Your brother knows that you're the favorite in my eye. And do you know that your brother's the favorite in your daddy's eye because of what he provides? But I'm gonna help you out. I want you to get this blessing. It's bad marriage advice to follow what Rebecca does right now. All right, so whether you've been married for a couple of weeks or 60 years, don't do what Rebecca does. Go and kill a couple of goats. Bring them to me and I'm gonna cook them because I know what your daddy likes. I've seen what he orders off the menu a hundred times. So I know how to fix exactly what he wants. And so Jacob says, okay, um, I get that. But I'm kind of a smooth guy. Now, 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 that doesn't mean that he's like smooth with the ladies and has a sweet talk. Like he's talking about, I've got baby skin. I, I'm, I, I relate this. I'm not a very hairy guy. I mean, I do have arm hair, believe it or not. It's there. If you come. Is there hair there? Yeah, I see it. He sees one hair. There it is. I told you, there's one hair. I get it. Esau, on the other hand, looks like a 900-pound gorilla. You've seen those guys at the beach. You're like, why are you wearing a sweater? Oh, that's your chest hair. Oh, my goodness. You, you see those guys, right? Okay, okay, mom. If I take this in to dad, I know that he's going blind. What if he grabs my hand or my arm? Okay, well, fine. Just take some of the fur from the goat and just stick it on. This is getting gross, right? Stick the dead animal's skin on you. All right, well, what, what if it gives me a hug? Put Esau's robe on you. That way you'll smell like your brother. I didn't have a brother. But this week we had family in our house. And we had a couple of extra little boys. And... I'm glad I didn't have a brother that didn't have to smell a couple of extra boys. I mean, boys don't smell the greatest in the world. Go so you can smell like your brother. Put his coat on. And Jacob does. And Jacob goes to his father Esau. The Bible says there, if you start looking down through there, he goes to his, he goes to his father. Um, he brought the goats. He did everything. He brought to his father. It says, my father, in verse 18, and he answered, my son, uh, uh, he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob replied, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of the game that, I may ble- that you may bless me. And Esau responds to him, how did you get it so quickly? You you want to know the heart of deception? And we're going to come back to this point in a minute. Look at verse 20, 20 there. And Jacob replied to him, because the Lord your God made it happen for me. Man, just the blasphemy of that deception. 
to invoke the name of God into the lie. We're coming back to that, so just earmark that one for a minute. And Isaac said, come closer so I can touch you. Are you really my son Esau or not? So Jacob came closer and extended the paw of the dead goat on the back of his arm. And he says, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy. And he asked again, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. Bring it closer to me that I may eat some of my son's game. I can bless you. So Jacob brought it closer and he ate and brought him wine and he drank. And Isaac, his father said to him, come closer and kiss me, my son. So he came closer and kissed him. And when Isaac smelled the clothes, this is, sounds a whole lot like Jacob, but everything else is Esau. And he blesses him and says, oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give to you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land, the abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow and worship to you. Be master over your relatives. May your mother's sons bow and worship to you. And those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. Jacob receives the blessing. He received it by deception. But the Bible goes on and says, as soon as Isaac finished blessing Jacob and Jacob left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived from his hunting and he also made some delicious food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father get up and eat some of his son's game that you may bless me. And Isaac says, who are you? Who, who are you? This, this father who has spent... Over 40 years, we, we ended chapter 26, Esau's 40 when he marries these women. And it's a few years later than that. It was 60 when Esau and Jacob were born. So this man is in his, in his early 100s somewhere and he's lost his sight. And he has thought that he has known his son so well. And now he's falling prey to their deception. And he answered, I am Esau, your firstborn. And Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, who was it then who hunted the game and brought it to me and I ate before you? I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. See, Jacob receives the blessing by deception. Esau in turn receives a harsh word from Isaac. Esau receives an empty and harsh word word because Esau is now fretting and he realized he heard the father's words he cried he says bless me too he's pleading with his father bless me please please there's got to be something and Esau says I can't I've already blessed your brother and he says there's got to be something for me and he says there I've made him a master over you verse 37 I've given him all of his relatives as servants and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said, do you not have but only one blessing, my father? Bless me too. And he wept hysterically. And Isaac answered, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land. Away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. And when you will rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. That's a pretty harsh word. Jacob receives a blessing because he was deceitful. And here is Esau, who was so flippant with his birthright that he'd give it away for a bowl of stew who comes in and now receives this harsh word. You're gonna be driven from the land. You're gonna live by the sword. Your brother is going to rule over you. All right, brothers in the room, who wants that to be true of you and your brother? Who, who wants to hear that from your dad? Life's gonna be terrible and your brother's gonna rule over you. No, nobody wants that. And I know the natural question is, okay, why didn't Esau, why didn't Isaac just say, well, good grief, Jacob, you're kind of a jerk. 
And because you deceived me, I'm going to remove this blessing and I'm going to pass it on to Esau. That's where I would start, just to be honest with you. No, you don't get it that way. No, you, no you, you're a liar. You're not getting the blessing. I'm going to give it to your brother. But what Jacob understood, uh, well, excuse me, what Isaac understood was that in all of this, the blessing had been passed down and therefore culturally, semantically, and socially, it was sealed upon Jacob. But ultimately, look, it fulfills what God had already said. There are two nations growing in you, Rebecca, and they're going to be separate once they are born, and the younger will rule over. The older will serve the younger. In God's providential hand, sometimes our bad decisions, he uses. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of grateful for that. I'm kind of grateful for the fact that even though I might have acted in foolishness or made a stupid decision in my life, that God didn't say, you're out of here. He used it anyway. He said, I'm bigger than your mistake. I'm bigger than your failure. I'm bigger than what you did wrong. I am God. I'm not bound by you. I can use you anyway. Look at that. He says, I can use you anyway. And he goes on here. And, 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 and Isaac, Isaac is trembling and Isaac is angry. And, and Esau is furious. It says there in verse 4 that he held a, a grudge against his brother Jacob. You think? <laughs> you know about sibling rivalry? It says that Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching and then I will kill my brother Jacob. But then mama gets involved again. I, I just want to go on record as saying that I'm glad that the mamas in my life don't act like Rebecca and Sarah. My mom's not this way. I praise God every day that my wife is not this way. Yeah, I'm okay with you telling people I'm your sister or, you know what, I'm going to manipulate this that you, I get my way. and all. I, I'm, I'm grateful. Then mama gets involved again and says there, the words of the older son were reported to Rebecca. So she summoned Jacob and said to him, listen, your brother Esau was consoling himself by planning to kill you. <laughs> Rebecca, who had just told, who had just told uh, her son Jacob, hey, if all this goes wrong, it'll be on me. Well, I, Esau wasn't planning on killing mama. He was planning on killing Jacob. At once, listen to me. Because the last time you listened to me, it gets you in bad graces with your brother who's going to kill you. But listen to me again. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him for a few days until your brother's anger subsides, until your brother's rage turns away from him and he forgets what you have done. Then I will send for you and bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you, your father and you, in one day? So Rebekah said to Isaac, I am sick of my life because of the Hethite girls, Esau's wives. If Jacob marries someone from around here, these Hethite girls... What good is my life? See what mama's doing here? She's manipulating. She, she's, she's manipulating. So that Jacob would be sent by Isaac to find a not Canaanite wife. So Isaac blesses Jacob even though he was deceived. Isaac gives Esau this harsh word but man, just to drive the dagger deeper for Esau, look what happens. Isaac blesses the quest for Jacob's wife. Jacob, come here, buddy. I need you to hear me. These women here in Canaan, they're no good. They're, they're, they're not for you. They're not the ones that you need to intermingle and to marry. Uh, that, no, you need to go to your mama's family. You need to go to Laban, your uncle, and from him, find a wife. Again, I'm glad that's not the way we do it now. And he does. 
And, and he goes off to Padan Aram to find Laban, his uncle, and to marry one of his daughters. And he's blessed by his father Jacob. Excuse me, his father Isaac. But Esau, Esau watches it. There's bitterness and rejection going on here with Esau. He's already been flippant and traded his birthright. He's already been promised this blessing and then just has it stolen right out from under him by his brother. And he's just gotten this harsh word. And now he watches dad bless his wives. He watches his dad say, the girls like what your brother married are no good. We don't want any more of those girls in our family. You can do better. Can you see a little bitterness dwelling up around Esau here, right? These are harsh words. So Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to Padanaram to get a wife. And look at verse 9. Esau goes to Ishmael and married, in addition to his other wives, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. She was the sister of Nebaioth. Okay, Dad. If this is how it's going to play out, if this is what you're going to do, I'm going to counter that by going to your half-brother Ishmael, the one that your dad rejected, and I'm going to marry out of his house. Esau marries the daughter of Ishmael. Ma'am, I would love to tell you right now that everything between Isaac and and Jacob and Esau is going to get better. I'd love to tell you that. I'm going to foreshadow a little bit. In a few chapters, we're going to see Jacob and Esau come back together, and they're kind of buddies. But it takes years, years and years. But sometimes the seeds of discord don't bear their fruit right away. Sometimes they're kind of like an olive tree. Did you know that right now in Israel, there are olive trees producing olives that were alive and producing olives when Christ Jesus was on the earth? Sometimes it's not a tomato plant where you plant it in April and by June you're reaping the fruits of it. Sometimes it's like an olive bush where the fruits are going generation after generation after generation. And all of it could have been stopped when the deception had been rooted out. So what do we do with this? What's the point of this whole passage? We've got two brothers that really aren't on good graces with each other. We've got a mother and a father that are playing favorites off of one another. And all of this is the family that God chose to use to bless the world in sending a Messiah. And I believe that holds the point. That even in our failures... Even when you and I fail, God will still accomplish his purpose to redeem. Even in our failures, we're going to drop the ball. We're going to mess up. We are going to sin. We should not, we should not attempt sin. We should not run headlong into sin. We shouldn't say, well, you know what? I'm going to mess up anyway. Might as well get it over and just revel in it. No, no, no. We run from it but it's going to happen. And even in our failures, God says, I'm bigger than your failures. I'm still going to accomplish my plan to redeem. Even though Rebecca sent her son in there to deceive, even though the deception was taking place, even though there was an attempt to supplant the younger in favor of the older, though God said the younger will, will rule over and the older will serve the younger, even though all that's going on, God says, I'm going to use these people because I made them in my image and I swore by my covenant and by my name that they are my people and I will use them to redeem the world can, can can I just submit to you at this point before we make a few heart connections can I just submit to you at this point that I am grateful for the cross of Jesus Christ where our failures meet his loving desire to redeem 
See, see, God could have used a perfect and sinless family. And, and he could have, in his sovereignty, in his majesty, he could have. You know, over, over in England, they've got like the royal family over there, which is like the, the, like the world's greatest welfare system. You don't have to do anything. And you live in luxury, man. It's great. You have to appear at ceremonies. Okay, so you do have to do something. You, you have to rub elbows with the rich and famous all over the world. Okay, you have to do something, but come on. Actual job responsibilities, what are they? Show up at parties and wave. And there's a, this bubble of protection around them, right? You don't infiltrate the royal family. You don't override the royal family. But they can do no wrong in England. See, God could have established that kind of system, right? Where this royal family that led to the cross of Christ Jesus were these perfect, sinless people, generation after generation after generation after generation. But the problem with that system is that we would not be able to relate to them. Because we have struggle and we have hardship, and we have temptation, and we have sin, and we have failures. So instead, what God determined would take place is that this broken, messed up family would be the generational line that would take us to the one who was perfect because he understand. if anybody understands what it's like to have a messed up family, it's Jesus. Come on, look at him. His own brothers were, were tired of him and wanted him gone. Could you imagine growing up in that house? I mean, Jacob and Esau, he thought they had it bad with favoritism. Why can't you just be like your brother, Jesus? He never backtalks. He never disobeys. Because he, he was sinless. Because the cross shows how seriously God takes our failure in light of his plan to redeem. So what do we do with this? Five quick things. Five, 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 five quick connections. First is that we've got to see that my physical appetite threatens or is a threat to serving God faithfully. My physical appetite is a consistent, constant threat to serving God faithfully. All of this story hinges on the physical appetite of Isaac. I've got this blessing that I've got to, I've got to pass down. So I'm going to wager my responsibility as the lone heir of Abram to whom Abraham to whom this blessing was passed I'm going to leverage the entire thing on what will fill my belly it was a hunger and it's it was a threat because he almost because of his appetite and his taste for game he almost gave the blessing to the wrong son to begin with he called the wrong son in. He didn't call the one that it was told, hey, you, you, this one will, will, will rule over the other one. He called the one that was supposed to serve. I'm going to bless you. He, he called the one that was flippant with his birthright and said, I'm going to bless you. And oftentimes you and I are put into predicaments where our physical appetites, and sometimes we put ourselves in those predicaments where our physical appetites, whether it's for money, a physical appetite for substance, a physical appetite for sex, a physical appetite for acceptance, a physical appetite for, you, you name it, you fill in the blank. That physical appetite becomes more important than what God has placed before you in your life to do to serve him faithfully. And this is not something that our Savior cannot resonate with. The agony of the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, this cross is before me. And I know what it entails. So if there's another way, Lord, let it be. But not my will, but yours. There's a physical nature to that. All the spiritual accomplishments of the cross for us had to come through physical pain and suffering. Jesus knows Jesus was there in that wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, praying and fasting. And the reason the temptations of Satan in Matthew chapter 3 and 4 are as significant as they are, are because there was something physical in the appetite of Christ. He really was hungry. You tried going without 40 days for food? Or going out 40 days? 
Have you tried going without food for 40 days? There's a physical appetite. He gets it. But we can't allow the physical to be a threat to what God's doing in our lives. Second thing that we've got to look at here is that quite realistically, deception runs deep in my own heart. Deception runs deep. The Bible speaks about how the heart is deceptively sick. It is deceitful more than anything else. You know how easy it is to convince yourself of something? I know. We don't like to be real with that. We can convince ourselves that we're not good enough. We can convince ourselves that we're not attractive enough, that we're too heavy, that we're too thin, that we're not smart enough. We can convince ourselves we don't have enough money, that we don't have enough this. We, our heart will deceive us into a lot of things. And then we bring it to the church world. Our heart will deceive us into thinking that, well, you can't serve God that way or you, you can't be part of that. We, we deceive ourselves. And then our heart spins it a different way. It deceives us into thinking that we're better than we are. Case in point, if you're sitting here this morning listening to me speak and you think, man, I hope somebody else hears this. Your elbow and your husband, elbow and your wife, man, I hope, she's li- I hope they're listening to this. That's a deception of the heart. To think that somebody else needs the word of God more than I do. That's deception of the heart. My heart will deceive me in so many ways. And and deception will run deep in your own heart. And we've got to see that. This isn't just a, man, how raucous is Jacob to go in there and just flat out lie to his dad? Man, what kind of marriage counseling does Isaac and Rebecca, do they need if she's gonna send Jacob in there? Deception runs within your own heart. That's why Jesus says, it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, says, you know what? Everything that Satan needs to tempt you, to cause you, to bring you to sin is already in there. It's already in there. You don't sin because you listened to a Tupac CD when you were in eighth grade. You, 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 don't, you, don't, you don't sin because you watch that TV show your mom told you you shouldn't watch. You don't sin because of that. You sin because your heart is deceitful. Because we need a redeemer. Jacob didn't deceive his dad because mommy sent him in there to do it. Jacob deceived because his heart was deceitful. Third thing is, Failure to expose and turn from sin will bring consequences. See, Jacob goes in following the wiles of his mother. And he goes as far as to say, well, God blessed me and brought me the game that you sent me to hunt. See, When we bring God into the mix, the purpose of God and the gospel being in the mix is to expose sin, not to be party to it, because God will not be mocked. He will not be used as a prop for sin. The gospel tells us, here is sin, here's how we turn, here's how we run. Here is how we fight on our knees in prayer. Here's how we surrender to him. But our failure to do so is going to bring consequences. He's like, well, it looks to me like the only one suffering the consequences here is Esau. Maybe. What about Rebecca? See, Jacob was the son that Rebecca loved, right? That's kind of what this whole issue revolves around, two parents playing favorites. And rather than speaking truth and rather than bringing to light, she encourages deception and now her son, the one she loves, the favored one, is sent away and she will never see him again. Furthermore, we won't hear of Rebecca again. Sarah, the matriarch, man, she had this nice send-off. It was written, man, she, she died and Abraham grieved her and he bargained for a proper place to bury her. We don't even know when Rebecca dies. 
And all we know is that her son gets sent off. She never sees him again. Now, I'm not going to tell you that if you fail to expose sin that you're going to die and nobody's going to know it. Or that you're going to lose a child. But what I will say is that there are always consequences for sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin, what we earn because of sin, is death. That's what we earn. Some of you kids earn an allowance. You do a few chores around the house every week and your mom and dad give you, I don't know what the going rate for allowance is because my kids haven't learned to ask for that and if any of you tell them to, I'm gonna up your tithes. So please tell them, I'll tell them, I'll up your tithes. But all of us have earned death. And if we who have died to sin because of Christ continue to live in it, there are real consequences. Yeah, you might not find them tomorrow, but they will show up. It's like that olive bush. You don't plant it today and you're eating the fruit of it, off of it here next week, next month. It might be generations. If you flip over to the book of uh, 2 Kings, Excuse me, not 2 Kings, 2 Samuel. Um, you have an issue where David is running into a famine that is lasting. It's been going on for years. And he goes to inquire of the Lord and says, why are we suffering? And the Lord's response is, this famine is not because of you, David. This famine is because of Saul, for something Saul did 40 years ago. Your failure to expose sin today and failure to turn from sin and perpetuation of sin in your life today could wreak its consequences in your children or your grandchildren. It plays out every day. But here's the good news. Ready for some good news? Because that sounds pretty hard, pretty tough. Here's the good news. The gospel requires honesty in the way that we deal with one another. That's what the gospel does. That's where it leaves us in the book of Malachi where they're waiting for that, for that one, Malachi chapter four, that's going to restore the hearts of the fathers to their sons and the sons to their fathers. If there was a family that needed it, it was Isaac and his boys. They needed this gospel. The gospel requires that you and I deal faithfully with one another, deal kindly with one another, deal honestly with one another because of the reputation of the Lord that is at hand when we play. The good news is whatever failures are in your past don't have to remain. The gospel shifts. The gospel changes. The gospel shows that God will take your failures and put them in a position where they can be redeemed by the blood of the Savior. Period. Because he loves you. Because he loves me. Because he wants the world to see his beauty. The gospel requires that we do things differently. See, we want to see how we fail, how we expose and turn from sin. It, turns, it starts in how we deal with one another. If we recognize that deception runs deep within our heart, then the way that we deal with one another now becomes a function of the gospel at work in us. And so deception and, 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 and scheming, all those things pass away. They fade away. They shift. They change. And the good news, we're going to see this happen to Jacob. It's going to happen in his life here in just a few chapters because that's what God does. The gospel doesn't call you to come as a perfect person. The gospel calls you to come as you are. But don't stay that way. Because the gospel changes you. And then we see that ultimate fulfillment is only found in Christ Jesus. Ultimate fulfillment is only found in Christ Jesus. I know you're saying, all right, Evan, we've gone through this passage. We've gone through this chapter and a half or so. And I haven't seen Jesus yet. How do we get there? Remember the promise that was given to Rebecca? You've got these two nations that are developing within you. They're growing there. And the older is going to serve the younger. Look at, look at the vow that's here. Verse 29 of chapter 27, the blessing to Jacob. 
May people serve you and nations bow down and worship to you. Be master over your relatives and may your mother's sons bow and worship to you. What does that have to do with Jesus? In a couple of chapters, we're going to see Jacob take on a new identity, a name change given to him by God because of the covenant that God makes with him. And that name is going to be Israel. And it's from the people of Israel that Jesus' line comes. And it is to Jesus that these words are recorded in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we see the ultimate fulfillment of all this starting in verse 5. It says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him. Here it is. And gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow Jacob's son would uh, the, uh, Isaac's son generations later would be the Christ the one before whom all of us every knee will bow he says every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father you want fulfillment it comes when you bow before him and proclaim the name of Jesus the Savior of the world this life is the only option the only chance you have there will be a day that all of us have to appear before him and give an account for everything that we have done whether good or bad in this flesh but at that day every every tongue will confess the name of Jesus as Lord but for some it will be too late it happens now it happens in this life it happens in this time Don't wait for that day. Don't wait for that day to proclaim him as Lord. It's too late. But right now it's not. The gospel bids that you come.